to me you sound you sound great you at least have a manly voice i have the voice of like a you know 11 year old vegetarian <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the DSD Podcast. This is our first episode. I'm Brad Cochran, and I'm here with my co-host, Dave Smith. Dave, what are we going to talk about today? Um, well, we have no idea. And we've been sitting here talking for the last two hours about the content of the first episode, and the only thing we've really accomplished is deciding that we're going to call this the DSD hunting podcast yeah and that was a that was a success and uh right before this started i googled podcast so i could find out what a podcast is and then i tried to google what to say in a podcast but they didn't really have much one of the things that we had kind of talked about was the kind of the lack of bird hunting podcasts out there you know there's seems like there's a whole lot of podcasts that go over big game hunting but uh there's kind of a general lack of of bird hunting, specifically bird hunting podcasts. Um, yeah, this is a mostly a bird hunting podcast, but we we will have to cover some whitetail subjects too, since we have a whitetail decoy. And also, I heard a rumor that you're gonna hunt blacktails this year with uh, in the late archery season. Is that true? I think the rumor is is confirmed. Yes. And are, how do you feel about that? Are you pumped or? Yeah, I. Uh... I'm pretty excited. I mean, mostly I want to I want to get out and and use our decoy, you know, and mm -hmm. experience the rut, you know. I mean, I've been I've just been a diehard bird hunter basically since I was five years old, you mm -hmm. know, and and I've dabbled a little bit in big game hunting, you know, mostly rifle hunting, um, but I have a bow now, and mm -hmm. I do most of my turkey hunting with a bow. But uh, yeah, I want to experience late late season archery whether it's blacktail or whitetails you know mm -hmm. um rut hunting over our decoy i think it would be a lot of fun right on so yeah i'll give it a whirl um when november gets here right on i have a property in mind he'll be he'll get hooked <laughs> great just what i need <laughs> another addiction in the fall yeah another expensive hobby right yeah, my my biggest problem is that it just consumes my thoughts. I have mm -hmm. a hard time focusing, you know, during well, during hunting season, which anymore in the state of Oregon is from uh, about September through May. So yeah. So I have one question for you before we get going here. Um, does my voice really sound this stupid? in person you know i was going to ask you the same thing because i sound really nasally and i sound like a little weasel but to me you sound you sound great you at least have a manly voice i have the voice of like a you know 11 year old vegetarian <laughs> <laughs> uh, so sorry about that <laughs> so well let's talk a little bit about the history of dsd and how we got started okay uh, well, I'll I'll start with that. I guess I I sort of started before before you and I met. Um, so a little bit of the back history on that before we get, catch us up to the point, and I'll make it short because I know this is boring. Um, but at least we'll say we have it covered. I uh, 
I've been an industrial sculptor my entire life. I've worked in footwear and taxidermy mannequins. And I was working for Fila, which is a footwear uh, and apparel company based in Italy. And I was working in the Portland office and they decided to close the Portland office. So I was kind of at a crossroads in my life trying to decide what I was going to do. And I was doing a lot of goose hunting at the time. And I wasn't very happy with how birds were decoying. And I tried every decoy that I could find available. And I just thought to myself, you know, I, I know how to sculpt. Um, and I love goose hunting. There, and there just has to be, there has to be a better way than this. Like these decoys, they just looked, they just didn't look, they didn't look good to me. I just thought we can, we can do better. So I started the sculpture of a lesser Canada goose, a Taverners Canada goose, or, which is kind of our trademark local goose here in the Willamette Valley. And, uh, and then when it came time, when Fila closed their doors, there were 70, 70 of us. And our choices were to either move to New York City or to Italy. And uh, I just wasn't going to do either of those. And actually, not a single person that I worked with stayed with the company. Uh, we were all frustrated because here they, they, they hired us to uh, do the best design, footwear designs we could, and we did. And every time we would design something, uh, it would go back to the offices in, in Italy, and the Italians would be like, no, 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 that's not what the Americans want, you know. And so they would, you know, poo-poo our, our designs, and we watched our stock. Kind of like we do every time you come up with an idea now. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So, so I'm comfortable. Everything's... Everything's the same. Nothing's Good. changed. Good. So you kind of got that out of your system. Exactly. Right? Yep. Early in your career. So yeah, and I watched our the, our company stock go from seventy six dollars a share down to I think it was at four when they closed the office, and here they weren't even using any of our designs. So that was really frustrating. So nobody wanted to stay with them, even though I'm sure they're a great company. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sure they're great people, and have maybe changed you know changed things now or found their niche or whatever. But anyways, uh, so then I was, you know, my options were to go, go back to Nike or to go to Adidas and stay in footwear. And that was the, you know, the real obvious and real comfortable thing to do. And, you know, I remember talking to my dad and my dad kind of telling me, you know, don't, don't really take a bunch of risks and don't, don't quit your, you know, don't quit your day job basically. And, uh, and then I also was getting married right at that time. And here I, here I was working on that sculpture and I just got so engrossed in it and just so into it. And I was just loving goose hunting so, so much. And I just was so focused and I just, I just had to do it. I just had to stick with it. And I remember, I remember thinking with my wife, well, first of all, I, I cashed in every 401k account that I had which was, you know, that was really a big deal. That was my retirement account. So that was a big risk. And that was really scary. And I remember thinking my brand new wife, I was thinking there's no way that she's going to stick with me. Like if I was her, <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, I, I was just thinking, I just fully expected her to, to just, you know, like the time I met her, I was making really good money and everything was, 
was going really good. And then we got, you know, engaged and next thing you know, I'm out of a job. And instead of taking a new job, I'm working on this clay sculpture of a goose. And I, I just fully expected her to, to just totally bail on me. And she, she was totally fine with it. <coughs> um, you know, she just, she seemed to just believe in me probably more than I believed in myself. And, uh, it doesn't, it didn't really matter just because I was just, you know, I just had a, um, I just had a mission, you know, and it, the mission wasn't about making money. The mission was about killing geese and killing them the right way. Like I just was obsessed with that. I just thought it just has to, there just has to be a better way and I have to, I have to experience it. So that's what I did. Started out making, uh, decoys just for myself and then had to make them for a few friends and then kind of the rest is history and you know Brad as you know like you and I were hunting together at the time and we had a lot of fun and you know next thing I know we're guiding together and that was that was really fun too and then we did that for several years and you know we really you got to admit we had a really good run guiding like we we had some really really successful oh for sure yeah I remember I remember one one of our brochures one year I think we said something like we limited out every hunt except for two and we still killed like 56 geese on those two hunts. So, you know, you think about it, we had it pretty good. We we got to see some really good goose hunting and uh things have gotten a little bit tougher but there's still there's still some great opportunities out there but you know, we really had a great window where we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We had good decoys and we were, we were good at calling before a lot of people were and people were hungry and uh, excited about going goose hunting, but nobody really knew how to make it happen. So that was, that was fun. And I think what, what killed it for us was just super, super high gas prices. Gas prices just went, went way up and then got a little more competitive and we wanted to, I mean, what's your assessment? I was kind of thinking we just wanted to make it more fun a little bit less work um and that's when we just decided to partner up on the decoys yeah well um i think you're right in in large part for me a big turnoff was taking something i was really passionate about and goose hunting and making it a full-time job and i'm a i'm a control freak by my nature and that's difficult being a guide you know there's only so many things that you can control um you know, you can scout a field, you can put the birds to bed, but ultimately, um, what the birds do the next day and what the, you know, what the weather does is, is largely out of your hands. And, um, so I just, I was in a constant state of stress while we were guiding and I really kind of lost that passion, you know, for it. Plus we were kind of dabbling with what few free days we had, um, we were kind of dabbling in the band hunting and that was really getting in my blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, well, cause I loved band hunting so much too. And I remember thinking, well, this is perfect. Like we'll be able to hunt that much more cause we'll be getting paid to do it. So that'll be our job. So we can sit there and scan the skies for neck collars. And that didn't really work out. I think we got a few, uh, a few that way, but it's kind of like, you, you know, we always kept, made sure that the, the clients were the priority and sometimes, you know, sitting up and shooting a collar when birds are working and then, and then getting everyone else to, sh- to shoot random birds doesn't, 
doesn't really work out. Yeah, you kind of look like a dick sometimes too when you blow the flock and, you know, pull up ahead of everybody and smoke a collar out from under their nose. Yeah, and then you're like, you just can't figure out why they're not as excited <laughs> about it as you are. Exactly. <laughs> why? Well, I don't get it. Well, it was always a trade-off though because with some of them, their favorite thing was to just watch their dog work. So, you know, they couldn't figure out why we weren't as excited to watch their dog, you know, <laughs> running around doing what their dog would do, um, which was various things like humping decoys and pooping in the kill hole. Yeah. And you know, jumping out of the blind, like at the first sound of a goose. We had a lot of that too. Um, so, Overall, though, I, I feel like it was a really good experience still. And I wouldn't, if I could go back, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't undo anything. It was, uh, it was just one of those things that got it out of my system after a few years. And I'm happy that all my hunts now are, are, are for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, no regrets or going, you know, not being able to go back or wouldn't change anything. It's funny. Um, I think a lot about, you know, if we if we had the decoys that we have now and know what we know now, if we could have gone like 10 years back. Oh, my God, I know. Uh, and just a little bit deeper back, the, the, the collar and band hunting opportunities were just off the charts. And what's funny about that is, you know, you and I have both got to experience some of the best band and collar hunting probably anywhere. And, and a pretty good variety, too. Like not just... Uh, you know, not just a big, a big, not just bunch. resident birds, but right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, we're pretty lucky for that. And there's a lot of people now that are just coming up. They'd give anything to just, you know, get one opportunity at a, at a collar or something and think that, that we really had it perfect. And so if you think about it, you know, we kind of, we kind of really did. Um, it could have been better if we would have started a little earlier. You started, you started, way before me and I learned pretty much everything that I know about collar hunting from from you (laughs) whatever uh but you know of course you always can't help but think like well if we would have started a little earlier I mean I think I think that about blacktails and steelhead and bass and I mean there's there were a lot of things around here that were really really good and if I just would have known what I was doing uh you know, it would have been, it would have been amazing, but you also have to realize 20 or 30 years from now, we'll look back and realize that right now we're in the good old days. I mean, I hate to say that, but you know, we have opportunities right now that we'll, we'll wish, we'll wish we had, you know, 20 or 30 years from now. For sure. Yeah. So I guess the long and the short of it is after you design the initial decoy, the taverner decoy, which by the way, um, you called the zombie decoy. Yeah. At first. I see, I remember my first my first Dave Smith um experience, if you will, is Aaron Sano told me that there's this guy up in North Plains, which is a town in the Willamette Valley here, for those of you who don't know. That's so small. I'd literally never heard of it. And I lived in the Valley for, you know, probably 15 plus years at that point. And, um, 
he said, yeah, there's this guy and he's making these really realistic decoys. His name's Dave Smith. And, and they're such awesome decoys that even Tim Grounds is buying them. And I was like, Tim Grounds. Oh my God. He's like my hero, you know? (laughs) Um, and, uh, and he's like, yeah, they're called zombie decoys. And I'm like, zombie decoys i don't know that just came out and it sounded kind of edgy and it just didn't stick i mean i tried and tried and tried and everyone no one wanted to say zombies (laughs) so they'd just be like you know the decoys that dave smith makes and next thing you know it's dave smith dave smith's decoys and then that kind of next thing you know it's dave smith decoys and so then we just trick quickly tried to steer that to dsd because obviously like you know, like with everything else in my life, like I, um, I wouldn't be able to do any of this if it wasn't for a bunch of cool, smart people all around me. So, you know, the less we use my actual name, um, or single me out, the, the better as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I've even brought up the idea, you know, a couple of times of trying to change the name again. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of stuck and it's fine. You know, what would you call them? Zombies. No, I don't. You know, every, I don't. every time, every time I heard that that term "zombie," zombie decoys, I always thought of Rob Zombie. <laughs> what I wanted to do is like make the decoys like look like zombies. You know, like geese that have been killed and came back alive. Like that photo of that new decoy we saw the other day. You remember? <laughs> Wait. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's it. Had, there the, is mouth, one it had the mouth open. Yeah, and its eyes were like all frosted over mm-hmm. and it literally looked like it It looked remember i think i said look it needs like a pound of flesh in its mouth to go with the zombie eyes <laughs> yeah the you know undead. to really complete the look maybe some lesions on its face or something too yeah no i think those were there on those but yeah yeah they were supposed to be black eyes but they're kind of they're kind of hazy like glossed over and Yeah, like all fogged out and yeah just trippy looking which i admit i wouldn't have thought of doing that um for a hunting decoy but maybe it'll work sure so yeah well another funny thing about that the whole startup is i was just remembering a little bit ago you know my mom for years would always act like i'm unemployed like 10 years into making decoys and she would you know <laughs> make little make little comments you know hinting at that her son's unemployed and i'm like okay at what point how many years of this do i have to do this before she would recognize that it is sort of an actual job and i still have friends today that will they'll call me up and you know at like 10 o'clock on tuesday morning like what are you doing you know like hey do you want to go you want to go you know, do something or whatever. I was like, dude, I have a job. I'm working my job. Then they're, then they're kind of like, yeah, right. You know? So I, I think the whole, the most of the people I know will probably always, um, assume that I never, um, succeeded at anything or made anything. And that's, that's fine. It's just, it's kind of funny. Maybe it's true. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's funny because that you mentioned that because um, I get a lot of people all the time that ask me, "Is this is this like your full time job or do yeah. you do something else?" Like, like, like really? Yeah. 
And I'm like, is that no, a serious seriously. question? But but what do you do to you know pay the bills? Yeah, <laughs> they must they must know something that we still haven't figured out, and that yeah. is that you can't make money well, making decoys. Well, and then there was about five years of you meet somebody and oh, what do you do for a living? And and I'll be like, oh, I make uh, hunting decoys, like goose decoys. <laughs> the first thing I say is, oh, like Duck Dynasty. Oh my God, I I'm still like, get that. I'm like, yeah. Exactly like Duck Dynasty. Right. Even though they don't make decoys, we don't make calls. They make money, we don't make money. They have beards, we don't have beards. They have a TV show, we have nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's exactly like it's Duck Dynasty. It's just like Duck Dynasty. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just go with that. Yep. I just say, yeah, those fuckers <laughs> stole that idea from us. <laughs> We're trying to sue him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. No, that was crazy that they, God, they just, they became mainstream like overnight. Because I remember, you know, Phil Robertson was the duck commander for so many years. It was just, you know, it was just Phil. And, of course, Jace and some of the other guys, like I think John Godwin and and, um, a few of the other guys that are on the show now, um, back then, made appearances in, in some of his early videos, but those were always super entertaining. I mean, mm-hmm. back in college, I had the entire Duck Commander collection. It was certainly, you know, one of my favorite um, hunting videos to watch. I'd watch them over and over again. You know, and those guys are still, they're, they sound so ducky. They're great. They're great callers and great call makers. I hope that they're still focusing on that and doing that, um, but they're probably making a lot more money uh with it they probably made a lot more money with the show and then the other thing that's kind of sad is you know like phil himself you know he's a pretty conservative and a pretty stand-up you know christian guy so he's naturally going to get targeted by the you know the extreme left um and so they're going to just find you know find any way to shut him down and you know most of the media is on on board with that so that's kind of sad to see but yeah i hope i hope for the best for them but i think you know i think they they've done really good and i think they're still doing really good so that's good i think phil can handle it i, I don't think that he cares too much what what others think yeah you know, when it really all comes down to it and we kind of need more of that these days yeah, he's definitely not afraid to speak his mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. But no, um, yeah, they were just, I would say, probably 30 years ago when they released their initial Doc Commander video. And um, yeah, I was just, I was blown away. I was blown away. Who were your, uh, who were your goose hunting heroes early on? Um, early on, I would say, um, when it came to calling Tim grounds, definitely, uh, my first real goose call, I would say was the Tim grounds variable tone honker, mm-hmm. which is a flu call. Um, and after that I got his half breed. Um, I watched one of those outlaw videos. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the, the yeah. Jim yep. Cripe made two videos way way back in the day and tim ground made appearance an appearance in at least one of them maybe both of them 
But um, I heard him blow his half-breed goose call for the first time, and it was just such a game-changer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when that when that sound hit the air, I mean, I could not believe how, you know, unbelievably realistic it sounded. Yeah. You know, that thing just popped, and I said to myself right away, and I'm, you know, I'm just a 18, 19-year-old kid, you know, just a poor college kid. And um, I said to myself, I have got to have one of those calls. Mm-hmm. And um, I put it on my Christmas list, I believe. Maybe I was younger than that. Actually, yeah. Come to think of it, I don't think I could even drive back. Then maybe I was 14 or 15 years old. Put it on my Christmas list. Got a got a half-breed, learned how to blow a short-read call. Um, the, the results in the field were just absolutely unbelievable, the difference that it made. And then from there, I graduated to his smoke acrylic um, super magnum. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first hunt I ever went on with that. I, um, and I was hunting with Travis Reeser and we were, we were in a cornfield on an early, on an early goose hunt. And, um, I was running down a sailor and the handpiece fell out. Uh-oh. You know, the, the insert fell out somewhere in the field. I wasn't smart enough back then to put, you know, a double braided lanyard. Yeah. You know, one one on the mouthpiece and the other on the insert. And um, I lost it out there, and I spent about an hour looking for it, and I finally found it. Oh, good. And thank God, because it was, you know, $200 back in college was a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was still days. a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> still a lot of money, absolutely. But, yeah, that was those are Well, and Tim was still... Um, He's one of the best call operators and, and, um, and hunters, you know, just at calling anything like on earth. Yeah. He's just amazing. fantastic. Amazing, amazing abilities. Yep. Yep. Those two. And then Kelly powers. I remember hearing those three guys, all three of them came out to the Oregon waterfowl festival way, way back when, you know, 15 plus years ago, probably. And Hunter grounds was just as, what, what was he? 12 years old, maybe. Yeah. And um, he could just make that call just absolutely. He just ripped it. Yeah, he's so powerful. And you're like, how is this sound coming out of this little 75-pound kid? And then he and, and Kelly did the two-man goose. Yeah, that was mind-boggling. it was unbelievable. Yep. Yep. And then Sean Stahl. Sean Stahl was always amazing. Yep. For sure. We should have him. Be a guest on a podcast. Yeah, it'd be a great idea, wouldn't it? Hmm. Well, let's let's call him up, send him a text, maybe we can get him on here and record one. That'd be a good next one. Yeah. Actually, how about that? And then that way no one has to listen to us again. We'll get some real some real people on here um, with real personalities and mm-hmm. real talent. And then if you can And some real fo- hunting skill. Yeah, so folks, if you're if you're listening to this, if you can just get through this one, then for the next ones we'll have some some actual talent on here. All right, some some interesting people. Yeah. Okay, well it feels like you know, we we covered just about everything we wanted to cover for this first episode of here. I guess one thing I wanted to expand on a little bit was when I said bird hunting earlier in the in the show, I was really kind of specifically talking about you know waterfowl really goose hunting um and and turkey hunting and you know being that it's september we'll probably focus a little more on the goose hunting right now but uh, as we get closer to spring 
we'll certainly get into, you know, turkeys and, and, um, you know, probably have an episode or two where we bring up, um, archery, archery deer hunting too, you know, with the rut just a couple months away. So that sounds good. But, um, yeah, what do we, what do you say we wrap this up and maybe try to get Sean Stahl on here for our first official episode of the DSD hunting podcast. Sounds great. Let's get him on the phone. All right. (laughs) 